Okay, good morning to Shavua Tov. Today's daf is daf Chof Hey, and today's she is the Ilunishmas Tzipora. I'll start again. Tzipora Bashmul. May her neshama have an aliyah, and may her memory be a blessing. Um, okay, um, I would like to just... The sugi at the top of the page is just one proof in a discussion that starts at the Mishnah on Chof Amubay's 24b. So let's just read the two lines, uh, the few lines from the Gemara, and then we'll read the one proof on today's daf, and then we'll go on to the new Mishnah. So there's a lot in today's daf, but it's just a very interesting point and quite a practical um, discussion. Um, so, the, so on Chof Dalanam Bay's 24b, just the, where the Gemara starts, it's just past halfway down, it says, Omar Rav Acha Bar Yaakov. Rav Acha Bar Yaakov says, Kol mechitza she'ene yechole lamod baruch metsuya, eine mechitza. Any mechitza that is not able to stand in a regular wind is not a mechitza. So, even if there's no wind and this partition you have there is balancing, if it would not stand in a regular wind, it would not count as a as as a mechitza. And Rashi explains, it's a it's a partition that will sway in the wind. So if you use a curtain, you hang a curtain as your sukkah wall. That's not valid because it won't stand in a ruach sha'ena matsuya. Now, firstly, what? How much does it have to sway? So that's quite a like just little bit of a contentious issue. There are those poskim who say any amount. If it sways at all in the wind, that's not a good mechitza and it's invalid. And others hold no. And this is the Chazanish. Um, and he says that it has to, or the Chazanish says it clearly amongst others, that it has to, when, what we mean is it sways in the wind, is the wind will blow it to a degree that it's invalid. So, for example, let's say you have a curtain hanging, and if a regular breeze comes, it would lift it off the ground three tvachim. Well, we know if your mechitza doesn't reach within three tvachim of the ground, it's invalid. So then it's invalid. Or if, let's say, your mechitza is like kind of those like hanging, I was just thinking in my mind, you know, those like um, sometimes people put them over a doorway, those like hanging things. So if the mechitza, if it would blow that, it would separate them. Or to a degree that it's not a valid mechitza, then it's not valid. So it's not just that it moves or shakes a little bit in the wind, it is that it actually um, is bl- would be blown out of shape. Now what about our canvas, um, our canvas walls? Those are very common in South Africa, the steel frame with the canvas. So already the, the Rishonim discuss using, well, they discuss using curtains or material, but it would be the same thing. Shulchan Aruch seems to say on the surface that you can, if you secure it with what we, I don't remember what, what his, his exact phrasing, but it would be along the lines of uh, lovewood supports or lovewood reinforcements. Uh, you can use a canvas or a curtain wall, but you must just make sure to have reinforcements that if the eye within, you put a string every three tvachim or just within three tvachim and then you have a valid wall because Bidiyevet, even if this wall blows out of shape, you still have the things. The other thing is it could be support, I holding it in place, um, which our sukkahs would definitely qualify. I know, um, okay, so there is obviously that discussion. I know my grandfather has a long shear. 
I listened to it two sukkuses ago, but I don't, so I don't remember it. But my grandfather's style is a long shear because someone basically came out saying that all canvas sukkahs are possible. And one of their lines is this. He says, anything that moves in a, as Rashi says here, anything that moves in a regular wind is invalid. And the canvas walls do move in a regular wind. So my grandfather's a long shear disproving that and showing how our canvas walls are fine. Especially you secure them at the top, you secure them at the bottom. It hardly moves, so that is definitely okay. So that's just, that's why I wanted to bring this because I think they still, they're very popular. I don't know about the rest of the world, but in South Africa they're very common. Um, these uh, steel frames where you hang a curtain, you hang a piece of canvas or material as the wall. So how do you have to do that? Okay, so let's just do the one proof. So it's the third line on Chof Helmut Aleph, 25a, just um, challenging Rav Achabar Yaakov. So this is Toshma Shabbos. Now, remember, on sh- regarding a Ruvei Tchumim, you're allowed to travel 2,000 Amos outside of your Shabbos zone, your Mokom Shvisa. Now, if you're out in the open, then your Mokom Shvisa is four, dal- four Amos around you, so you'd be allowed to walk to the end of that and 2,000 Amos. If your Mokom Shvisa is a city, well, then you get to walk to the end of the city and uh, another 2,000 Amos. Now, so that's what we're discussing. What can qualify as a Mokom Shvisa? Obviously, that's larger than four Amos because four Amos you have anyway. But what certain things can count as an enclosed area? I your Mokom Shvisa that you can walk all the way to the end of the enclosed area plus 2,000 Amos. So he says, Shavas Betal... If you set your your Shabbos zone on top of a mound that is higher than ten fochim for arba amos at beisosayim, and it's between the distance of four amos and two seya, what's the thing of two baits of beisosayim? Two baits seya is remember an open area that's not normally made for dwelling in that is larger than two, sorry an area that is larger than two baits seya that is not made for dwelling in. Even if it's enclosed, you're still not allowed to carry there. So that's why up until two beits. So to in a valley or a crack in the ground, that's amuk asora. That's ten tefachim deep. And again, the crack can be anywhere from four amos to two beits. So if you're in the middle of a field of standing grain and you've harvested a little area, so kind of the walls of your the walls of your Shabbos area is where the grain is now standing. You've got a flat area in the middle with the grain standing as your fence. So what is the Moses Mahalech is kula You can walk through the whole area. And then another 2,000 Amos from the partition. Now, how is this a question of Achabai Regarding this grain, the grain sways in the wind. So that's a kasha on Rav Achabar Yaakov. Here we see the grain counts as a good partition. You in the middle of a field and there's standing grain around you. It counts as your Shabbos walls and you're allowed to walk up to it plus 2,000 Amos. But it sways in the wind. So we see it to refuse Rav Achabayakov. No, he could answer Rav Achabayakov. will say that that's where you supported it with Hutzavadafne. Um, thorns and branches and stuff. Are ah, you secured it that it's not going to just sway in the wind so much? Um, that would be. Um, how Rav Achabayakov would explain that Mishnah. Okay, let's go on to the next Mishnah. This Mishnah is. Um, 
I don't know, it's a very, very well-known uh, Mishnah, very important concept, and a very interesting discussion. The Mishnah says as follows, Shulchai Mitzvah Peturin Min Someone who's on the way to do a mitzvah is exempt from the sukkah. Actually, three points to this Mishnah. So that's the first one. This famous thing, if someone's on the way to do a mitzvah, and this is the principle of Ha'oseik B'mitzvah, Potumin mitzvah. if someone is involved in a mitzvah, they're exempt from the mitzvah. And that would be this first line. And the second clause in the mission is Chulin, Choylin, Umashamsham, Peturimin HaSukkah. Someone who's sick, and those who, who are assisting them are also exempt from the sukkah. And then a third point, you're allowed to eat and drink snacks outside of the sukkah. Your meal you have to have in the sukkah, but your snacks you can't. So obviously, the first point that Gomorrah is going to discuss is this concept of shlucha mitzvah, peturim and sukkah. The one question, um, why here? Why are we discussing shlucha mitzvah here? And why by sukkah? We could discuss it by any mitzvah, so why are we discussing it by sukkah? So the, the Pnei Yeshua this, um, goes into it. Um, but the one answer he gives is that a shluchay mitzvah, it's not like a once-off mitzvah that you're missing by going to do this mitzvah. It's a mitzvah you're supposed to be spending a full seven days in your sukkah. And nevertheless, even if you're on the way to do a mitzvah, you can miss that. Okay, but there's obviously more to that discussion, but that's the one point. A second interesting point is Rashi gives examples of shluchay mitzvah, someone on their way to do a mitzvah. says, Kagon, Lilman Torah. For example, someone who's going to learn Torah. So you're traveling to Yeshiva, you don't have to sit in a sukkah. Or someone going to visit their Rav. Or someone going to redeem captives. Obviously, each of them need analysis, but just the first one is quite interesting. What's the halach if you're... Generally, we say, so Oisek B'mitzvah, put him in the mitzvah. If you're in the middle of a mitzvah, you don't have to go do another mitzvah. But what happens if you have someone who's sitting and learning Torah? Now, besides for the fact that Torah is the greatest mitzvah, but, um, Torah is equal to all other, learning Torah is equal to all other mitzvahs in the Torah, still, we know that if he's going to miss a mitzvah, he has to go do it. So if he's in the middle of Gomorrah learning and it's time to shake Lulav, he has to go shake his Lulav. He's in the middle of learning and it's Man Kriyashma, he must say Kriyashma. That's a... Uh, that's the halacha, is you don't lose out a mitzvah because you're learning Torah. So, it's interesting that it seems from Rashi that granted if you were sitting and learning Torah, you'd have to take a break to go sit in your sukkah. If you're traveling to go learn, you don't have to take a you don't have to fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah. It's quite interesting, you would almost think that sounds counterintuitive. Okay, let's go into the Gemara. The Gemara asks me, Nahanimili, what's the source? What's the source that Shluchai Mitzvah, that those who are exempt, those that if you're involved with one mitzvah, you're exempt from another mitzvah? What's the source for Oiseik B'mitzvah Potomira Mitzvah? Now, the Ritva asks a very obvious question on this. He says, what do you mean that's so obvious? You're human. You're not able to do two things at once. How are you going to travel to redeem a captive and at the same time sit in the sukkah? It's not humanly possible, so obvious. So they, they bring a few answers. Um, what, no, what, what we're adding to this. Um, one, one answer is that the Ritva, the, the Ritva brings is, no, what it's telling us, not only that you don't have to switch, you're not allowed to. I mean, once you start one mitzvah, you're not allowed to stop that mitzvah and switch to do a different mitzvah. You have to finish the mitzvah you're busy doing. 
that's the one answer that the Ritva gives. Um, and the second, yeah, so let's go with that answer. It's coming to say that never mind. Yeah, so let's say you're doing one mitzvah and you think, oh, I'm busy doing this mitzvah. But I'd, and then an opportunity to do a second mitzvah comes along. You're not, according to that ritva, you're not allowed to say, I would rather do the second mitzvah. Let me leave this mitzvah halfway through and go. No, you finish the mitzvah you're doing. You're actually exempt from the second mitzvah. Okay, so what is the source for this concept? He says, the Toner Ammonon, we, we taught in a price. And now this is the Pasuk in Shema. So I'm just going to read the whole Pasuk before we analyze it. He says, You will... Teach it to your children and speak in it. When you're sitting in your home, or when you're traveling on your journey, or when you lie down, and when you lie down, and when you get up. So those are all the times you're obligated to say Kriyashma. So it says, When you're sitting in your house, that excludes someone doing a mitzvah. And when you're traveling on a journey, what's that coming to include? And that comes to exclude a chasan, um, a groom. Why should a groom be potter exempt from Kriyashma? So, so it's explained because Shema, at least for the first possible of Shema, you have to have a lot of concentration. And the, the, the chatan, the groom, is, is preoccupied with the mitzvah that he's going to do, the mitzvah of pruravu, of consummating his marriage. And therefore, he's exempt from turning his mind away from the mitzvah that's on his mind to go do the mitzvah of, uh, of Kriyashma. So that's the thing. And now we can also understand why do we need two exclusions? Once we've said that someone busy in a mitzvah is potter in Kriyashma, because it says, Why do I need a special drosha to say, and also a, 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 a chatan is, pot, is potter? So that's, that's because the first one is someone who's actively doing a mitzvah. The, the, the chasan is only thinking about doing the mitzvah. His mind's preoccupied with the mitzvah. And that's, uh, and that's even though he's only mentally engaged in the mitzvah, that's already exempts him from the mitzvah. So that's the two levels, not only actively, but even mentally. Now, Mikan Omru, so from here they said, If someone's uh, marrying a virgin, he's exempt from Kriyashma, but if he's managing a wid- marrying a widow, he's obligated in Kriyashma. Now, the Gemara will come back to that, but it says, My mashma. How do you see that from the Pasuk? All the Pazuk says, when you're dwelling in your house of when you're going on a journey. And we said, oh, you see very clearly, if you're busy in one mitzvah, you're exempt from another mitzvah. If you're busy with one mitzvah, you're exempt from Shema. How do we see that in the Pazuk? So, Rav Huna, Rav Huna says, Kederech. No, we, con- we contrast it with Derech. The Torah says you only say Shema when you are in a similar situation to when you're on a journey. He says, Just as Derech is optional, you only say Shema when you're involved in other optional activities. Which excludes someone who's busy with the mitzvah. Who says, maybe when it says he's traveling, maybe he's traveling to do a mitzvah, and that's when the Torah says, say Shema. Oh, you just came along and told me that that derech means something that suits you for your own purposes. Um, but what about, um, 
when you, but maybe the Torah is telling us, even when you're on the way to do a mitzvah, you have to say Shema. How do you still see it from the Pasuk? So the Gemara answers, no, Im came lay makrob, b'shebes uveleches. The puzzle could have said, when dwelling or when traveling, my if you know, when you are sitting or when you are traveling, that teaches us, it's only when you're traveling for yourself that you are chayev, but when you are traveling for a mitzvah, you are exempt. Right, so that's the drosha, when you're sitting, when you're doing what you, what, something that's for yourself, you're working, you're relaxing, something like that. That's b'shiftacho. Or traveling, when you're traveling, interest now. And when you're traveling, it seems to include when traveling for business or obviously traveling for leisure. That's your travels. But a mitzvah is not considered your travels and therefore you're exempt. So that's the, that's the drosha and that's the source. It could have said b'sheves. Besheves beveisecho or uveleches baderech, but it says belech techo baderech when you, when the traveling is for you. That's when you chav in shema. But if you're traveling, guess to do a mitzvah or something like that, you would be exempt. Now the Gemara just goes back to a to a point we said. So we said when someone's getting married to a virgin, then he's exempt from kriyashma. When he's getting married to a widow, he's not exempt from kriyashma. So you ask ihachi. If this is the case, even someone who marries a widow should be chayav. Again, he's preoccupied with, he's going to do a mitzvah. So why should he be chayav in Kriyashma? So koines is a basula torid, koines is almona loy torid. No, when he's going to marry a basula, his mind is more torud. His mind is more preoccupied. He has other, other uh, extra level of concern and distraction. Uh, that he's so caught up in the mitzvah, where someone who's marrying a widow doesn't have those concerns. So therefore, since he's not as torud, as not as preoccupied in the, with the mitzvah, his mind is not totally distracted from the from being able to say kriyashma. He can do both. Um, Now the ones are. Oh, so you're telling me, what if based on this, what if we said, what's the key factor when you have in a mitzvah? Not is it, are you able to, are you too preoccupied to do the second mitzvah? Or is your mind still able to do it? So it says, oh, you telling me anytime your mind is totally distracted, totally preoccupied with something you exempt. You telling me if someone is ship is drowning in the sea, I he's got a he's a He's an importer or exporter and all his goods are on the ship that he hears about the storm and his mind's totally distracted and totally preoccupied with the business uh, calamity. You're a, you're a store owner in, uh, in KwaZulu-Natal and your things being, uh, there's riots sweeping through the area. Your mind's totally preoccupied with what's going to happen to your business venture, to your, to your, your, your business and your livelihood. So should you be pot? Maybe you should be potter, just like a groom is exempt on his wedding night from kriyashma because his mind is torud, is preoccupied. So to hear someone whose business is about to suffer a huge loss is also torud. Says vechitei mahachanami. Maybe say yeah. Maybe you'll say you're right. If you're that distracted, you're exempt. So vaho amar rav adabar zavda amar rav rav adabar zavda said in the name of rav. 
אבל חייב בכל המצווה סמור ובתורה חוץ מן התפילין שהרי נאמר בו הם פאר. מורנה is obligated in all mitzvahs in the Torah except for תפילין because it says פאר about them. We'll come back to this תפילין story and אבל over the page. But what do we see? An אבל is torrid. An אבל is, so, is grieving. He's mourning. He's minds on his loss. And still he's חייב in mitzvahs. So if a mourner is חייב in mitzvahs, then so to someone whose business is going through uh, struggles, or for whatever other reason he is preoccupied, he's, um, he's exempt. But again, now we have this problem. Wait, so you're telling me that when uh, a, a groom is torud, and therefore he's exempt, but all these people, a mourner, someone whose business is about to, be, who's about to lose their income, their mind's preoccupied and they're chayav. So Hagen says, now, half a torid tir de mitzvah, hosam torid tir de derishus. Here he is busy with, his mind is preoccupied with the mitzvah, and there his mind is preoccupied with his own, his own things, his own concerns. Oh, so it comes out as follows. Basically, if I understand the drosha, in short, it's, it's as follows. We thought, we're trying to work out what's this concept of Oisek B'mitzvah Potamin HaMitzvah. We at first thought it was specifically with the mitzvah. And that's how we conclude that, yes, it's because it's a mitzvah. But in the, in the discussion, we mentioned there's a distinction between someone who was marrying a Basula and someone who is marrying an Almona. Now, why should there be a difference? It's a mitzvah to get married and a mitzvah to have children, whether you're marrying a Basula or an Almona. So, why should it make a difference? We said, no, the difference there is it's Torud. Which sounds like, oh, so wait, you're telling me it's not about doing the mitzvah, it's about, is your mind preoccupied? If you're too distracted, then you can't say Shema. Remember, especially for the first posuk of Shema, we're supposed to have very intense concentration for the, for the first posuk. So, so, so if you're telling me it's Torah, then wait, you should be exempt in all these other scenarios. Someone whose livelihood's under threat, someone who's... Um, a mourner, they're totally preoccupied, they should be exempt. And we highlight, no, this that we say he's exempt because of Tirda, because his mind is totally distracted and preoccupied, is when it's for a mitzvah. So again, it's all connected to our Oisek, the mitzvah, Potter bin mitzvah, and that applies when you are, um, and that applies whether you're actually involved in the mitzvah, even if your mind is totally. Um, distracted by the mitzvah. Um, just one thing, isn't there a mitzvah, just a side point, isn't there a mitzvah to mourn? There's a whole section in Shulchan Aruch, it's a mitzvah to mourn. So why do we say an oval is chayev because it's his own choice to mourn? It's not his choice to mourn. The Torah says you have to mourn, you have to keep the laws of Shiva, etc. So they point out very interestingly um, I'm trying to see if it's a Rashi. It slipped my mind which Rishon it is. But he says, interesting, he says, no, the laws of mourning are the technical details. Not wearing leather shoes, not shaving, sitting on a low stool. But this of grieving, that's optional. There's no chiv that you have to grieve. Chas v'sholem to say you're not allowed to, and chas v'sholem to say it's a problem. No, that's what you, that's kind of what you're supposed to be doing, but it's not the obligation. When you have a mitzvah to mourn, it doesn't mean a mitzvah to grieve. And therefore the ovel who's preoccupied and, and distracted and caught up in his loss and his mourning and his grief, granted that's 100% okay, but that's his own choice 
and therefore he would still have to try to gather himself to be able to say Kriyashma. Now Tosfos here, I meant to actually do this straight away at the beginning, but Tosfos here asks a very important and fascinating question. He says, wait. Um, well, the, yeah, the first point he says, it's the Tosfos Divra Maskil Shluchei Mitzvah. So firstly, he says, interestingly enough, this implies... Um, even so, you're traveling to do a mitzvah. You don't also when you obviously you're not going to be traveling at night. You travel by day and rest at night. So you still don't have to go to extra effort to find a sukkah at night. So it's it's even when you're not actively involved in the mitzvah. But the, um, and it, it says yeah, and this is uh, implicit. This is implied in the Mishnah. We're going to get on tomorrow's stuff, which says the Komar Hoichel the Dover Mitzvah Purim and Asukah Bain Beyom Bain Belaila. Okay, uh, let's actually leave that point for when we get there. But he brings, Tosos then asks halfway into the Tosos, a third into the Tosos, he says, for Tamer. He says, wait, this is bewildering. You're telling me that I always have a mitzvah, potum in a mitzvah. If you're involved in one mitzvah, you're exempt from another mitzvah. He says, if you're able to do two mitzvahs, why should you be exempt? The Atu Adam Are you telling me that someone who's wearing tzitzis or wearing tefillin is exempt from other mitzvahs? Misha mitzvahs from all other mitzvahs. Again, if you've taken this principle, and as I just pointed out regarding the sukkah at night, I don't want to get into it, but kind of have to, that when you're traveling to a mitzvah, you don't even have to worry about the sukkah at night when you're not traveling. Well, that's, but why can't you do both? And Tosis is saying, and that's very difficult. I, if you wear tzitzis the whole day, you're telling me you don't have to worry about doing any other mitzvah because you're doing a mitzvah? Good question. How is it mitzvah? Someone comes in, uh, time to shake lulav. She says, I don't have to, I'm wearing tzitzis. Someone comes to ask for tzedakah, as we'll see that. Sorry, I don't have to. I'm busy wearing tzitzis. So I always take the mitzvah, potter in mitzvah. Why don't we say that? And he brings a very interesting one. Um, what, uh, proof that we don't say that, that you can't say that, is because the Gemara says someone who's looking after a lost object gains because of the prutah de Rav Yosef. What does that mean? It says that if you've got a lost object and a poor person comes to ask for money... You save yourself that money because you're busy with the mitzvah. You don't have to go do the mitzvah. And the Gemara there says it's very unlikely. It's very infrequent. The Prutu de Rabbi Yosef, this, this uh, few rands that you save by not having to give tzedakah because you've got a lost object, it says it's very unlikely. Now, if you're going to tell me that I've got a lost object in my house. Now, sometimes it can take a while to return it. You don't find the owner immediately. So let's say you've got this uh, animal in your house, this dog you found running in the street, and you've been keeping it in your house for three, for it's now two weeks in. Definitely a poor person has come. So why does the Gemara... And since you're Oisek the Mitzvah, you have this dog that you're looking after to return to do the Mitzvah of Abeda, you should be exempt. So... Um, so must be, by the fact that the Gomorrah says that it's a very unlikely gain, the ex, the money that you save, must be that just because you have a lost object in your house, doesn't mean you're exempt from all mitzvahs. And that's all, again, Tosfos coming down to his principle, that where you can do both, you're liable in both. Um, so that's... Um, yeah. So when would you be exempt in a mitzvah? It also says if you're busy cleaning the dog or feeding the dog, that's when you're oisek per mitzvah and potum in a mitzvah. But when the dog's just running around the garden and you're sitting, uh, um, sitting watching the watching the soccer, that you can't say oisek per mitzvah potum in a mitzvah. It's only when you're again actively involved in the mitzvah that you're not able to do the another mitzvah. But where? 
where you can fulfill both mitzvahs, obviously you're obligated to fulfill both mitzvahs. So when you're wearing your tzitzis, is there any mitzvah you're not able to fulfill? Well, you can put on your tefillin, you can shake lulav, you can... Uh, you know, there are many, many mitzvahs you can do while wearing your tzitzis. So therefore you can't say, just because you're wearing tzitzis, you're exempt. So that's Tosos' principle. Um, that obviously... That where you involved in the mitzvah, that you're not able to, or the second mitzvah will detract from your first mitzvah, that's when you're exempt. But where you're able to fulfill both of them, then you're liable. Then you're obligated to do both of them. And that's, uh, that's in a way, it sounds quite obvious, but the run has a different way of learning. Don't really want to go into the run now just because of time. But very simply, he holds no. He says the key point is if you're actually actively busy with the mitzvah. Even if it's theoretically possible to do both mitzvahs at the same time. If you're actively involved with one mitzvah, you don't have to go and do the second mitzvah. And whereas Tosos would hold no. If you're actively involved with one mitzvah, but you are able to do the second mitzvah at the same time, you would have to do the second mitzvah. So there is different ways of learning, but that's a very important Tosos. Okay, let's go towards the bottom of Chof Ha'am with Aleph. It says, Oisek mitzvah mitzvah You're telling me this is the source for Oisek mitzvah mitzvah There's another source. The Tanya, as we learned in the Bryce, so this is regarding Pesach Shani. It says, says there were people who were Tomei Meis. That's why they couldn't offer the Korban Pesach, because they were Tomei Meis, and they wanted to go. Um, now they wanted, they went to Moshe, and they said, we want an opportunity to do Pesach Shani. Now the bride asked, he says, Oysa Manoshe, me, you? Who were these people who were Tomei? Who were they, and why were they Tomei? So the one answer, the first answer is, Rabbi Yosef Aglili says, they were the men who were carrying the coffin of Yosef. Remember, Yosef made his brothers swear to carry him out, and they were doing the mitzvah of carrying, of carrying the coffin of Yosef, and that's why they were Tomei. Rabbi Akiva Oymen Mishol, the elder of one Hoyu, no, it was Mishal the Eltsafon, those were the cousins of Aaron who had to bury Nodov and Aviu. Remember, Nodov and Aviu died on the day of inaugurating the Beis Amigdash on the first of Nisan, so they had to go and bury him, so that's why they were Tomei. Now, Rabbi Yitzhak, Rabbi Yitzhak says you can't say either of those. He says, firstly, they would already have been able to purify themselves. Remember, this was all Bahar Sinai. And they only had to move the coffin when they were traveling. When they were camping, they could just leave it there. And they had been camping, Rashi, Rashi shows us that they had been camping at Har Sinai for over 10 months. So they had plenty of time to purify themselves from carrots. It can't be. And so too, if it was Mishal and Elzophon who buried not of enough you, they would also have had time to purify themselves. Because remember that, when did they die? On the first of Nisan at the inauguration. So they had, and then the first Paratumah was on the second of Nisan. And how long does it take to purify from Tumah Mace? Seven days. So they had plenty of, they had a whole week spare to be tohor by Pesach. So that comes, it says, It says, no, so rather it was people who were busy with burying their dead. They had a mitzvah, their relative died, so they had to bury them. And it turned out that their seventh day was on Erev Pesach. Because the Pesach says that we were not able to do the Pesach on that day. I, on the Erev Pesach we were supposed to. 
On that day they weren't able to, but on a later date they were able to. But what do we see from here? What are we bringing out? So, okay, so let's not go into the technicalities of offering your common Pesach on the day when you tome, when you'll be taught that night. But the main point is, what do we see? Um, that these people were busy in a mitzvah, or burying a dead, or carrying an aron, or something like that. And they knew... That by doing this mitzvah, they would not be able to offer the Korban Pesach. Because it's seven days before Pesach. And if they bury their dead today, they're going to be tomate and not be able to offer the Korban Pesach. And still they were allowed to. So we see, that's the question. No, sorry. So what's the question is, we said, what's the source for the, this concept of Oisek B'mitzvah, Potter Mena Mitzvah, someone who's chayv in a mitzvah? We said it's because it says, Bashma, When you're doing something for your own needs, that's when you chayv in the mitzvah. But when you're doing a mitzvah, you're exempt in the mitzvah of Kriyashma, and we obviously extended that to all other mitzvahs. We said, wait, that's not the source. The source is this, by Pesach Shani. These people did the mitzvah of burying, even though they would not be able to do the other mitzvah. So we see, if you're busy with one mitzvah, you're exempt from a second mitzvah. So which? So why do we have two sources? So it's true, no, we need both sources. Because maybe over there, by the case of Pesach Shani, when they went to bury their relatives, well, it wasn't yet the time to offer the Korban Pesach. So maybe that's why you can go lenient. Again, it's six days before Pesach. You're not even allowed to offer your Korban Pesach yet. So maybe that's why. Okay, so you do the, you bury your relative, and then it turns out a few days later that you can't do the mitzvah, but you didn't have that mitzvah. It says, But here, it's the time for Kriyashma. So maybe there you can't say, it's almost here you have a choice of mitzvah. The mitzvah of Kriyachma is here. So how can you say that I'm too busy with this other mitzvah? No, say Kriyachma now that you're supposed to. So Tzricha, therefore we need both of them. We need to teach us, even if the, we need the first Mishnah to teach us, the first source, that even if the time for the mitzvah is here, if you always take the mitzvah, you exempt. The Ashmeinan Hacha. And if we would have just brought the source of Kriyashma, it's because there's no Kores. Maybe when you're going to transgress a mitzvah that has Kores, you're not going to be able to offer the Korban Pesach, which is so severe. It's Kores. I would say you can't miss it. Maybe you should rather do not get involved in the one mitzvah that will cost you the second mitzvah when it's... Um, when it's Kores. So Tricha, therefore, we need both of them. Okay, so it comes out, but it seems that the general, if we want to make it a general rule, is whether the time for the mitzvah is here, or whether it seems to be a more severe mitzvah, you finish the mitzvah you're busy with now, and then you can start thinking about the second mitzvah. Um, okay, now we're just going to analyze the point we said earlier. Guf, Omar Rebi Abba Bar Zabda, Omar Rav, Rebi Abba Bar Zabda said in the name of Rav, it says a mourner is exempt from all mitzvahs in the Torah except for tefillin because it says pe'er. Pe'er literally, tefillin are referred to as pe'er which is a, cr- a, cr- a crown, a glory, 
uh, glory, and it's incongruous with the mourner, who in a way is rolling around in the dust, to wear this crown. It shows that he's not mourning. So that's why he does it. Now, now where do we know that from? That a mourner does not wear tefillin. Again, we generally say this applies on the first day, either day of the burial, and it's a discussion whether it applies in Shachris the next day. Interestingly, according to many, even in Shachris, the day after the burial, they would be exempt from tefillin. Um, if sorry, they actually sorry they bring if there are new people that weren't at the funeral at Shachris on the first morning, then he's also exempt from tefillin. So that's what, um, what's often advised for mourners is to put on tefillin before they. Bef- um, a bit earlier before doubling in case anyone new comes, then he doesn't have to take them off. Okay, but that's, that's, that's a side point. So a mourner doesn't wear tefillin. It says, And this is because Hashem said to Yecheskel, Your tefillin must be on you. Aye? And by Yecheskel, he was mourning for his wife. And, and we actually learn out, from, Hashem told him, even though you're mourning for your wife, do all of the following things. So we learn from them that, Hashem is telling Yechezkel, you as a mourner must wear tefillin, implying that everyone else is exempt from tefillin. Says, and this is obviously on the first day, because um, this is only on the first day because it's written, and her day will be bitter. The, the, the bitter day, I, the first day, which is the most bitter. So, so that's why tefillin, um, a mourner doesn't wear tefillin on the first day. Um, another interesting point Tosos asks is, wait, is the reason because it says pe'er, tefillin, which are glory? Or is the reason because of the posuk telling Yechezkel, pe'er chochovu sholecho? Okay, we brought two. We said the one reason you don't, a mourner doesn't wear tefillin is because tefillin are pe'er, which is glory and it shows that he's not mourning. And then we bring a posuk that says, no, it's Hashem teaching Yechezkel. So Tosos asked that on the previous page. Um, so he says, no, so, so Tosos says the primary reason is the one from Yechezkel. That an Ovel, Yechezkel, was told he must wear tefillin, which as a mourner, you must wear tefillin, implying that all other mourners must not wear tefillin. Oh, what's the significance of the drosha of highlighting that, oh, but tefillin are glory, and therefore if a mourner wears tefillin, it shows as if he's not a mourner. We already know a mourner doesn't wear tefillin from the Pasuk in Yechezkel. So Tosu says that's coming to tell us that it's only by tefillin. You might have used tefillin as example and said that, oh, just as a mourner is exempt from Tefillin maybe should be exempt from other mitzvahs. So that's why we bring the second, ex- the first part of the explanation is that no, it's specifically pe'er because that doesn't fit with a mourner. That's incongruous with a mourner. And if a mourner wears his tefillin, it's like he doesn't. But it wouldn't apply by other mitzvahs. Okay, now another teaching. Rabbi Abba Barzabda says in the name of Rav, Oval chayav b'sukkah. An oval, a mourner is liable to, has to sit in a sukkah. Pshitta, isn't that obvious? Why should he's the only mitzvah he's exempt from is tzitzis, is 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 sorry is tefillin. So why would you say 
Well, you don't need to tell me that he's chav to sit in a sukkah. He's chav in all other mitzvahs. So it's not ma'ud to tame a hoyl. Va'omar Rava, since Rava says, Mitzta'er potter min ha'inami ha'inami mitzta'erhu. You might have said, no. Rava teaches us that as someone who's in pain, he's very uncomfortable, he doesn't have to sit in a sukkah. So maybe a mourner is in pain, so maybe he should be exempt from, a, from sukkah. It says, hani mili That's sara that's from an external source. Here it's, the pain is from himself. He should actually, he has to try to calm himself so that he can sit and enjoy sitting in the sukkah happily. Okay, there's a big discussion exactly on uh, this this sar from an external source versus sar in himself, but that's uh, that's uh, it's, uh, it sounds quite severe. But again, um, moving, it's a discussion. Is the sukkah so? Where does he want? Where does the mourner want to sit? I'm saying he's because remember the reason the mitzvah is potter from a sukkah. If you're sitting in one room in your house and you find out it's too hot there. Or there's water, there's a leaking ceiling. You've got to move to another room in your house. So that's a mitzvah potter min asuka. But so a mourner, he doesn't want to sit in this. Which room in his house? Where does he want to sit? Where is he going to be comfortable? So someone will say, look, a mourner wants to sit in a more dark, confined space to like feel more. Uh, I, I don't know what the word is. Uh, feel. Uh, um, He'll feel better by sitting in a dark, more confined space as opposed to an open sukkah or something like that. But either way, he has exactly how you learn whether he'd rather be there, whether it's specifically the sukkah that is more uncomfortable for him. But he must try, change his mindset that he's, I guess, not any less distressed because he's in the sukkah over anywhere else. Another teaching for Omar of Abba. Rabbi Abba Barzavda Omar Rav. Rabbi Abba Barzavda said in the name of Rav. The groom, the groomsmen, and all the Benea Chupa. The Shushbinan, we generally translate as groomsmen, but it was close friends of the bride and groom who were like actively involved in getting the wedding ready. So it's not just, uh, just people who rock up on the wedding night wearing matching ties. There's people who like they were act, they were very very good friends who are like actively involved in the wedding and the Manea Chupa would also be party um, people uh, very closely involved in the Chupa. The Chupa in this context would refer to the new residence of the bride and groom. And actually, when we speak about Sheva brachos and things like that, they used to all take place in the bride and groom's new residence in their Chupa. Um, so Peturim, so all these people, the, the groom, the Shushbinan, and Korban Al-Chupa, Peturim and Al-Sukkah are exempt from Sukkah. And this all, um, again, different way of learning, but Rashi learns because of Oisek Minah Mitzvah, Potter Minah Mitzvah. They're busy with the Mitzvah of bringing joy to the bride and groom, and therefore they're exempt from the Mitzvah of Sukkah. Sorry, Minah Sukkah calls Shiva all seven days of Sukkahs. Sorry, not all seven days of Sukkah, all seven days. Obviously, the wedding was a little bit before Sukkah, so for the Sheva Brachas, what we would call the Sheva Brachas, those seven days, they're exempt from the mitzvah of Sukkah. It says, my time, and we shouldn't boil the midchi. The reason is because they have to go and bring joy to the bride and groom. It says, oh, So let them eat in the Sukkah and bring joy to the bride and groom in the Sukkah. There's an extra level of Simcha in the Chupa. 
were in that special residence of the bride and groom. Oh, so let them eat in the sukkah and then go and celebrate with the bride and groom in the chuppah. No, there's an extra level of simcha where you're having your meal. The primary way to bring joy to the bride and groom is to have meals with them. Why don't you make the chuppah in the sukkah? So Abayah says the problem is Yichud. Rashi points out their sukkahs were often built on the roof, which is not so accessible. So you don't have people just walking in and out. So it might be that the, the groom will step out for a few minutes to go do what he needs to do. And then, the, and then someone will come and visit and it will turn out that the bride in the sukkah on the roof will be in isolation in Yichud with another man, which is a problem. So therefore Abayah says you don't encourage them to have their chuppah in the sukkah, and Rava Rava says because of the distress to the chasan, to the groom, um, it seems, Rashi says, what's the tsar of the chasan? He says, because firstly, sukkahs were generally quite small, and not only that, the whole side was open. So you can't, uh, the whole, they generally had the minimum three walls. So the one whole side is open, so he can't relax and enjoy and joke comfortably with his wife. And that's the Tsar Chosun. So that's why we don't make him sit in the sukkah. My Baneu, what's the difference between the two reasons? If it's a sukkah where people are going in all the time, there's no problem of Yichud if people are going in and out the whole time. But according to the opinion that is Tsar Chosun, well, that would apply because the sukkah is not the most comfortable place to relax with his new bride. So that's, uh, that's that discussion. And Omri Bizar, um when I was a groom, I, when I was a chasan, I ate in the sukkah and I rejoiced in the sukkah. And my heart was extra joyous because I was fulfilling two mitzvahs. Now, interesting, there's two ways of looking at this. So we've just gone through, a, it seems from what we've said so far, strictly speaking, a bride and a groom are exempt from the sukkah. And so to those who have the mitzvah of bringing joy to them. Comes along... Um, Rebbe Zairin, he says, you know what, I was careful to do both. So does that mean that we should do both? I, uh, you should, a bride and a groom should make sure to sit in the sukkah. It's, I mean, it's mainly on the groom because he has the mitzvah, but he wants to be with his new, he has the mitzvah to be in the sukkah, but he wants to be with his new wife. So does he bring, do they go in the sukkah? Or is Rebbe Zairin pious? Rebbe Zairin was an Amora. He was an extremely pious individual. So for him, it was a good idea, but for most people, we wouldn't insist on it. Um, Another question you could ask, I, I mean, not exactly the same, but if it's a large, comfortable sukkah, then is it really any worse than sitting in the lounge or sitting in the sukkah? And then maybe you would change it and say that nowadays, where we do have these large, comfortable sukkahs, a bride and groom, just as they'd be comfortable sitting and relaxing in the lounge, they're equally comfortable sitting and relaxing in the sukkah. Okay, and something to think about. Just one last point I want to go into. Um, and then we'll leave it here, is what is this mitzvah of bringing joy to a bride and groom? What I mean by that is, he, the Gros says it's a mitzvah doraisa. Okay, so you're involved with the mitzvah doraisa of bringing joy to a bride and groom, then you exempt from the mitzvah doraisa of sukkah. But Tosfos, Tosfos learned that this is a Durabonan mitzvah. The mitzvah of bringing joy to a bride and groom is only a mitzvah to Rabbonin, a rabbinic mitzvah. And what are they saying? They're saying, well, therefore, if you're involved in a rabbinic mitzvah, you're actually exempt from another mitzvah. 
And they want to bring from Rashi. I mean, this is a whole discussion. It's, oh, no, what's the mitzvah to visit your, your Rebbe on the festival? As we said, some hold that's only a mitzvah to Rabbonin. And if you hold it's only a mitzvah to Rabbonin, again there Rashi is saying, if you're on the way, you're traveling to do a mitzvah to Rabbonin, you're exempt from sukkah. How I say for mitzvah, potom in a mitzvah, even with a mitzvah to Rabbonin, which you think about it, is quite, quite taking it quite far, this concept of if you're busy with one mitzvah, Obviously, if you're busy with uh, mitzvah to so you're exempt from another mitzvah to But you're telling me, even if you're busy with something the rabbis tell you to do, you're exempt from, the, from a Doraisa. So one reason, one explanation could be, and this is the Koivetz uh, Shurim suggests, is that, remember, what was the source? The source was, besh- it says, when you're going for yourself, going for a rabbinic mitzvah or going for a Doraisa mitzvah, would not be for yourself. Okay, going on a hike, maybe going on a business trip, um, you know, something like that, going on a holiday, that's for yourself. But going for, um, but going for mitzvah drabonin would not be considered for yourself, and therefore maybe you exempt. But that is an interesting question. Are you, when we say, I say for mitzvah, potem in a mitzvah, is that even with a mitzvah drabonin?